to Red, White, and Vroom Podcasting, Formula One, IndyCar, and Zeppelin Rallycross, a production of Consolidated Sleutheria Media. Official disclaimer, for the purposes of this podcast, I officially know nothing about anything, while Elena knows something about several things, none of them officially, for joining me. On the other line, she loved her birthday party with her daughter, but she's never doing it again. It is Elena. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Elena, we had a, we had two legs of the motorsport uh, triple crown settled this weekend, including the greatest single day uh non-religious gathering of human beings on the planet <laughs> in Indianapolis. I, 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 I imagine you were glued to the TV, you know, throughout, without oh, yeah. any ability to be distracted. <laughs> yeah, so as I mentioned in our last episode, I did not watch the Indy 500 live. I watched Green Flag the first 15 laps, and then I turned it off. And I turned off every sort of notification on my phone, including specifically muting, like blocking the texts from the people I thought most likely to spoil me. And I did not turn it back on until I want to say like 9 p.m. And I just didn't know what happened. And several people almost spoiled me. And then someone goes, oh, no, no, no. Don't tell her anything. She'll kill you. (laughs) Excellent. Excellent. The message got through. Yep. So, our agenda today consists of a very important question, which is what we felt as Joseph Newgarden crossed the line to win the 107th (laughs) running of the Indianapolis 500. I I have a series of thoughts. The first one was, oh, thank goodness it's not Erickson. Uh The second one was, oh, thank goodness I can go to bed. (laughs) Because this was probably 11.30 p.m. by the time I saw this. I was lucky because I'd recorded it so I could fast forward the red flags. But I was worried about being spoiled. So I had to close my eyes and mute the TV. And my husband that would (laughs) sort of skip forward. Plus, shout out to like one of my friends who was staying with us who is not into motorsports and watched the entire race with me. Now that is a friend indeed. Well, and her fiance is into IndyCar. I mean, not like super into it, but, you know, grew up in the Midwest and, you know, is vaguely following it. And he went to bed. (laughs) Oh, the Indianapolis 500 is when you learn who your true friends are. Exactly. So I I will say I was watching live um, and I, you know, the first half of it was relatively civilized, and the back half was not. And <laughs> by this time, I had already uh, wrenched my Andretti hat off my head and flung it to the ground with a howl of pain at some events prior in the race. But when Joseph cleared it, when he crossed the line and came out, you know, I'm a fan of IndyCar and a Formula One of racing, um, but I, I recognize it as you know this is an entertainment and escapist enterprise. 
uh, you know, in it for the fun. When Joseph crossed and in the minutes an hour after, I completely unexpectedly found myself nearing tears for what it meant for this man in particular, but also the 300,000 people around him and what this event was. And it was extraordinary. And so I am going to say that the Indianapolis 500, real good stuff. That is putting it mildly. <laughs> I, I th- So my husband had been thoroughly spoiled. He knew that there were a ton of red flags and he knew who won. And he kept encouraging me to like skip forward in the race. We were like lap like 40, 50. He was like, you should just skip to like lap 115. And I was like, I didn't know he'd been spoiled. So this did not, you know, impact mm. me. I was just like, I thought he just wanted to go to bed. And I was like, well, you can go to bed. I'll stay up and watch. And he was like, no, it's fine. Because uh, I think he knew, he was waiting for my reaction to the ending. Mm-hmm. Especially uh, Pato's crash. Oh, I think he gosh. knew I was going to need some emotional support. Yeah, that I believe was the moment in which I shot out of my sofa, wrenched my hat off, and howled with pain. I also made some loud noises, which was a bigger deal here because it was like 11 p.m. Uh, and there were people who were asleep. Including a small child. I uh, shouldn't wake up. She sleeps very okay, heavily. That's good. But no, I woke up. Uh, my parents were staying with me and I think I woke them up a little. <laughs> but oops, it's their fault for, you know, raising me. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean... Truly, you know, that important. So, yes. So, um, after the first or second red flag, I can't keep track of them now. uh, Pado was coming up on Erickson, who, I mean, it has to be said, has real legs at the speedway. Have we considered? Have we considered just chopping his legs off? Well, I think Pato tried. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and so Pato came up the inside and uh, they tapped wheels and Pato spun out and Marcus continued. Pato was in the wall, crashes sp- span. Kyle Kirkwood clip. W- was it Pato that he clipped or was it Felix? Uh, I, I that was Felix. That was Felix. Okay. Um, that was the incident before. That was the first red flag. Right. It was Canapino who simultaneously mm. uh, had his brakes and his steering sheared uh, while on the outside and thus was just went straight into Pato maybe 25, 30 seconds after his crash. What a disaster. But, what a disaster. Yes. Um. So, let, let's talk about the Pato Marcus incident. I, uh, it, as is my want, was very hesitant to immediately assign something and wanted to see more angles and consider it at length. What was your immediate reaction on seeing that? Well, so I have not watched any replays of this because it's too painful. Uh, I also have not listened to anyone else's opinion on it. So this is my immediate reaction. It's also still my current reaction, which Great. is it's all Marcus's fault. What is that based on? 
pure gut feeling and emotions, no facts. No facts, <laughs> only vibes. Well, I, I watch a few of the replays on the bod, on the broadcast, and it seemed to me that Marcus kept crowded Pato pretty tight. Yep, like, exactly. Maybe there was a race car's width, but if so, it is the literal width of a race car. Um, and at 230 miles per hour, that's not... Uh, I, I, I've heard a few uh, race drivers say, you know, I've always thought it's a width and a bit. Um, and he, it looked to me like he basically forced Pato to either go on the grass or make contact. And Pato came out of it saying... Or back out, of course. Uh, and Pato came out of it saying he had been too nice, and next time he would be stronger. Well, in the words of a legend, all the time you have to leave the space. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And this, I think, does attach to a broader issue, which we saw especially later in the race, which was the complete dissolution of driving standards at the 500, where um, I, I've watched some uh, recent conversations between, um, you know, IndyCar racers and stock car racers and others, and they were asked about different, um, you know, standards. And, it was understood that when you make a pass, you don't, for instance, chop somebody and take their air away because that is going to put them into the wall. Even though you aren't physically making contact, uh, th that is something that you have to do. And we've seen more and more running tight, which is fair, but seemingly reducing the uh the gap of gentlemanly and appropriate respectful behavior for just flat out anarchism and ryan hunter ray uh your good friend uh was very articulate in the post race about as was alexander rossi our boy about uh the starts that people were getting the head starts on the green flags and um so it seems like indycar needs to get the boys under control it also seems like marcus uh put pato in position to crash i mean, i you know i'm not a marcus erickson fan uh putting it mildly i like him better than i like santino ferrucci Mm -hmm. But, you know, he, I, I definitely agree that he uh, sort of put Pato in a bad, uh, bad position there. I also, you know, want to point out that he's an incredibly sore loser. He like was whining about re going green at the end of that race instead of finishing under caution and giving Joseph the opportunity to pass him. And I'm just like, shut up. You're such a loser. Like, first of all, you literally lost. <laughs> and second of all, now you're whining about it. Nobody likes a whiner. Yeah. Um, and what was particularly egregious is in some of the uh, post-race discussion over 
whether that last re- red flag and restart was uh, good or whether it was similar to Abu Dhabi 21 and F1, uh, Marcus Erickson himself came out after that and congratulated Max with a well-earned, you know, fair finish, uh, equal to the fight of that year. And so evaporated all his credibility as someone to uh, weigh in on race finishes. So, you know, the guy could drive. The guy came very close to uh, winning back-to-back 500s. Um, he will make himself money in the offseason from somebody, very possibly my Andretti team, which I'll have to deal with. Um, <laughs> okay, but he's an upgrade over Devlin. Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, speaking of, uh, this race and one person who would probably not be an upgrade over Devlin is my boy, as long as he lasts, which may not be so long, Stingray Rob. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I, I like the kid. I wish him all the best, but he... I think has maybe finished one IndyCar race so far this year. And I can't even say which. I'm just guessing that there's one. He's finished more than one because I know he finished St. Pete. He was just a lap down. Okay. Um, Because I saw him where I was sitting. He went off and then he waited until the leaders passed again. And then he like backed out under the track and and went around to finish. But like... He has not had an impressive showing. I'll put it that way. No, no, not at all. And um, in both his ovals, he has found the marbles and the wall. I thought the funniest thing was what in his interview, how he blamed whoever he was racing and then refused to like name who it was, as if the broadcast wasn't going to go back and show us that it was Graham Rahal. Like, right. come on. It's like... It's like the stupid crap that people do on Instagram or like what we used to call vague booking. I'm dating myself here where you would like post a Facebook status about or like even like an AIM messenger status uh, about like who like nobody. I just hate fake people who will say one thing to your face and something else behind your back. And you like it's targeted at one person, but you're not going to say their name, but you want everyone to know who it is. Sorry, that was yeah. a tangent, but that's it was like that, <laughs> and I was like, "Oh, you're a child." I, yeah, I mean, I, I I didn't give him as much guff for blaming Graham afterwards oh. as some did. Oh, I'm not blaming because it, in the heat of the moment, race car drivers are, and especially with that adrenaline, where you end up in that situation. And I I will note that he tweeted afterwards. You know, okay, now I've seen the replay, heat of the moment, you know, that was on me. I've got to do better. So I'm not, I'm not blaming, I don't care that he was blaming Graham. I mean, it wasn't Graham's fault. But what I, what was reminding me of that is the fact that he was like, the guy I was racing at the time, but wouldn't say the name. Yes, and said, uh, whoever that was, I know who it is, but I'm not going to say it. Yes. That was what was I was like. That's so freaking middle school. Go post your AIM messenger up. I shouldn't. That's a the M stands for messenger. Go post your AIM status. 
Only you would never do that because you're like 15 years too young for that. Yeah, yeah. So I am, you know, continuing to wish him the best, but not expecting him to have, you know, uh, my expectations with him are uh, below those of uh, perhaps his Formula One equivalent. And that's not good. Uh, but this is about the Indianapolis 500. Um, I, I have to tell you, I was, I was stressed as we were coming down and it was looking like it was likely going to be Marcus Erickson or Santino Ferrucci or maybe even Alex Pillow. And the fact that it was Joseph who came through to win his... 500 finally and get that monkey off his back oh now uh speaking of uh mr ferrucci uh, elena i i'm aware that we have some in our audience who um uh, uh do not share our opinion of santino ferrucci and or are even slightly fans of his so i would like you to be able to explain why they are wrong and articulate for our audience why Santino Ferrucci is bad. Yeah, okay. So uh, there's a lot of reasons here. I don't know how many people were following, like, sort of motorsport in, I want to say 2018. It might have been 2019. I think it was 2018. There was a whole thing about a driver using his phone while driving. In the paddock, but still. Um, That was Ferrucci. Uh, Additionally, he... uh, has been he has a reputation for making deliberate contact. There was a race when he was in F two. Uh, he got a four race ban for making deliberate contact with his teammate. Um, teammate, oh. yeah, teammate. Uh, he deliberately forced him off the track. Uh, yeah, that was the same race I believe where he was on his phone while driving. Um, he also, what else did he do? There's a he he definitely at one point used some racial slurs of some point to refer to his teammate. I'm not sure if it was the same teammate or a different one, but I don't really care if it was mm-hmm. the same teammate or a different one. And he got fired by his F2 team. Uh, although that was, I think, most... They said it was behavioral issues, but I think it also was that he did not uh, deliver the money he was supposed to deliver. Uh, which is poor behavior. Yes. Um, but most importantly, Santino Ferrucci should have been banned for a a circumstance that you may be able to relate using his car as a weapon yes in f2 i think right yeah yeah i mean isn't that what we were talking about with him forcing his teammate off the track i thought there no i i thought he all right i I, we, we will follow this up and see if i am mixing him up with someone else uh, but I thought he did something even worse than Dan Tictum. No, go, wait, what did you... Go ahead and say what you thought you, he did. Uh, of under a safety car, pulling out and hunting and missling somebody. No, that was Tictum. I, I thought Santino did it worse. I don't think so. I might be wrong. I would believe it of him. Yeah, so... And also... Also importantly, all the other great drivers hate him. Yes, they do. Like Joseph Newgarden, Connor Daly, Alex Rossi, all of the people that we like actively hate him. 
There has to be some reason for that. And they're, Alex accepted, pretty chill dudes. <laughs> so I, it was uh, painful watching him. And I was, I was like preparing myself to temper, you know, if he did win it. That, you know, he was in AJ Foyt's 14 in the red, white, and blue livery. And AJ just lost his wife. Um, does not seem like he's in good health. Mm-hmm. And he is a true legend of IndyCar and the sport. The first four-time winner. But, fortunately, Centino did not prevail. And Joseph Newgarden came through in the golden dawn of the shell livery. I'm, oh, so... Oh, like Newgarden is not my favorite driver. I like him, but he's never in my favorite. He's too polished. He's too like He is so polished. He's so shiny. I I I can't sort of relate to him. He's too mm-hmm. perfect. And like he's got his fir- perfect literally Disney princess wife and they're like perfect like blonde cherubic child. And like I love that for him, but I cannot relate. And I mean, my child's pretty perfect too, but I'm not married to a Disney princess. (laughs) Uh, And so I was like watching this race, as I mentioned, with a friend who was not at all into IndyCar. And I was telling her, I was like, I bet you would like Joseph Newgarden. I was trying to like get her to watch 100 Days to Indy, which she probably won't. I'll send her the clips of him without a shirt on. We'll see. Um, And she was like, oh, why do you think I would like him? Like, well, he is very attractive, he's very well-muscled, and he has a really cute one-year-old. And she was like, that's what you think I would like, want? And someone, I was like, would like to be a fan of him? Yeah. And she was, yeah, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> and then I relayed the story of, you know, how he met his wife, his father slipping his email address to her, etc. She thought it was very cute. So we might make a fan of her yet, but... Uh, yeah, I, he is just so completely not relatable to me that I don't think I could ever really fully, like, cheer for him un- uh-huh. unreservedly. I, 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 I am increasing. I have found this year I am growing and growing in Joseph Newgarden fandom. Um, yeah. And, you know, he's not. He is polished. And this is just who he is, though. I, I, I don't get the sense that he has another like more subtle nuanced level that he's keeping beneath the shine oh no he is just this is how he processes and even in the latest bus bros uh you know he was like congratulating his team and scott mclaughlin started snickering at him and he said look i i just i'm so i am so proud of my team i you know i definitely don't think that it's not like I think it's very genuine, but like, I also think that if he weren't an IndyCar driver, he'd be a finance bro. And I, that just makes him, we're not, just not relatable. Right. Whereas I am so thankful that he is an IndyCar driver (laughs) because I don't think he'd be a very good finance bro. I think he's a much better driver. No, he'd be trying to sell like bad NFTs. I mean, all NFTs are bad, but like he would have been like on the cutting edge. He would have like bought some apes. <laughs> um, let us not take Joseph Newgarden's time of glory as a time to try and rub the shine off of him, no, because he's as great. we know, that shine is permanent. He's a great driver. I'm like, 
thrilled for him that he finally won the 500 like this the stuff that he's like said about his wife and her supporting him has been really sweet like seeing them and their son and like just seeing sort of how meaningful this is for him after you know two titles uh you know what 12 years 11 years in the sport like this is clearly incredibly meaningful for him and it's really good to see and you know nobody else who was up there at the end is what i wanted to see this for so extra happy there and like thrilled for my friends who are new garden fans um it's just that like there are other drivers i would have been happier for unfortunately most of them crashed out so thrilled for joseph he saved yeah. us Yes, truly. Uh, he is the superhero we needed and deserved. Absolutely. Um, all right. So let's take a step back. Uh, Alex Rossi ended up finishing the highest of the McLarens um, and ended up in P5 and extremely frustrated, uh, feeling like he should have had a shot to win it. Uh if people weren't shenaniganing uh, those starts and he was playing by the rules. Um, Alec, <laughs> Rina's VK. <laughs> well, hold on. For, on Rossi, before we move on, like, I feel, I feel so badly for him about this because I know that feeling where, like, you're like, well, I'm following the rules and other people are cheating or they're, you know, trying to manipulate stuff. And I follow the rules, and I just get screwed for it. And it just makes me want to, like, give him a hug, which he would hate. So (laughs) I would not touch him. Uh, I don't like being touched by strangers either. But, like, I want someone, I want his dogs to, like, cuddle up with him and give him a hug and cheer him up. I think that's what, I think he, that would make him happier. Yes. And, uh, fortunately, he has a race this weekend to focus on. Um, Sure does. the streets of Detroit will be lit up with indie cars. And I was listening to an interview with Joseph where he was saying, I am just so hoping we don't have the indie car, the Indy 500 letdown. That would be so annoying. <laughs> uh, and so I would love if Joseph could be the first person to go back to back the 500 in Detroit. I am obviously very excited for the Detroit race. But, it, I mean, I will watch that one live. Um, uh-huh. It's it's not going to be the 500, though. Yes, certainly. Um, all right. I, I, I think we have done what we can in terms of just immediately. Well, I, actually, I, I, I want to back up and give you a little bit of time uh, to talk about the Pado crash. Uh, and uh, to talk about Pado's race and sort of your experience of it. I don't like really know that I want to do that. Okay, you don't want to go no, there. I you don't do want it. to open can, that up. I could do sort of a high level, but I don't want to dig too deep because uh, it's getting a little late at night and I don't want to have nightmares. <laughs> There's a lot of emotions here. So I had like a feeling. I just had this gut feeling that he wasn't going to finish because I, well, either I was like, he's either not going to finish or he's going to win. Because that was sort of the mode he was in. He was like, I am going for it. And so I initially, when he had that sort of radio message from his his crew being like, we're not getting enough fuel in the car. You're on fuel safe. I was like, ah, right. no. And I was like, no. And then, you know, there was a yellow flag. It, it was okay. He was back in it. I was like, yes. And then 
there was Felix's crash. I was like, Felix, are you going to do this to him again? Is this Texas all over? I mean, not, you know, to minimize Felix's crashes in those two races as be- to make them about his teammate. But, you know, there's a common thread. I like Felix a lot, but maybe I wouldn't be so upset if he lost his seat. And then, <laughs> and then, you know, he, you know, makes it through and like he's still racing. He And that absolutely gutted when he crashed. I'm just sort of like rewatching it in my brain right now as I'm saying this. He, I, I was just so upset. And like, it's not even, I'm not like the world's biggest Pato fan. I like him. I think he's charming. But there's a couple things I really like in Motorsport. I really like relatable people. I find him quite relatable. And I really like first-time winners. Uh, So, you know, obviously he's won races before. But this is not a race. This is the race. Mm -hmm. And, like, watching him last year come so close. And it was like, this year is his year. McLaren has the package like, he is in the position. He can do this. And to see him come that close and not get it was just so rough. Thank goodness Joseph saved us. First time winner. That was good. He got one of my two boxes. But uh, I'm still sad. Yeah, yeah. I, it, it will be very interesting to see how Pato races the rest of the season uh, as he is collecting enemies among the Ganassi. I like I could I could live with a Pato villain era. <laughs> I'm not sure. I'm I don't know that we know what that would look like. It could go dark. I mean, I feel like he's sort of gone through a lot. Like he's come to terms with the fact that he's not getting an F1C, and I think he's like, okay, then if I can't get an F1C, I'm going to turn IndyCar into the best series it can be. Like he has an insane fan presence. He had like he does so much for the series in terms of like notoriety, you know, profile. You know, he's gonna drag them kicking and screaming into the 21st century and to be the best series they can be. And I could see him sort of I I, I could see him having a a villain, a villain arc mm-hmm. in like a good way, like a very relatable villain. He's the villain who like has a, their own book. all right well congratulations again to joseph newgarden on winning the 107th running of the indianapolis 500 um i apparently missed an opportunity to see him at the empire state building today uh he came to new york so i will have to deal with that um But until next time, we have our time-honored, hallowed outro, our favorite motorsport fact or anecdote. And Elena, I am led to believe that you have something here. Yeah, so the next race that is coming up is the Detroit Grand Prix. So that's IndyCar race, Uh, because we didn't talk about any F1 this episode. We we are going to see if we might be able to get something else in because Monaco was good for Monaco, but then the 500 happened and it was a title event, a, a gravitational force that warped and blacked out everything else. 
Yeah, so the Detroit IndyCar race is coming up. It's next weekend. I'm going to be there in person. Uh, if any listeners will be, email us, redwhiteandvroom at gmail.com, and we can meet up. But, All right. Um, the, the Detroit race for the last several years, and the last time I went to it, has been on Belle Isle, which is an uh, island in the, the river there. But prior to that, it used to be downtown. They did an F1 race in downtown Detroit. And this race sort of went around the Renaissance Center, which is the big building that is GM's headquarters. And it was it was sort of modeled off of Monaco. It had a railroad track crossing, and it went through a tunnel on the main straight. What? It was, yeah, it was even slower than Monaco. 17 quarters, <laughs> slower than Monaco. But luckily, as they have reimagined this race, one of their goals was to make it less... Uh, impactful for local businesses in downtown Detroit than it was in uh, in its original iteration. So they have cut the uh, tunnel situation and they have cut the train track situation and it should be a much faster uh, track. So it's going to only be 10 corners. It's 1.7 miles instead of the two and a half mile circuit. And it's going to... It's going to be a fun race. It looks like a good track. I'm going to be right by the pits. So I'm really looking forward to watching. All right. And uh, they will have a split pit lane. Yes. I am going to have to see how that goes because I can't honestly conceptualize it. Um, And my favorite motorsport fact or anecdote for today the winner of the 107th running of the <laughs> Indianapolis 500 is Joseph Newgarden. Thank you very much. This has been Red, White, and Vroom. Good night.